Good morning, Zinger Nation. Jobs, jobs, jobs. That is what will be the big story of the morning. The jobs report comes out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern here in about half an hour exactly. Lucky for you, myself and Dennis Dick will be here live breaking down the exact number, the print, and we'll see how the market's reacting to it. It should be some fireworks. It should be interesting. So uh, exciting for, uh, excited to have you guys all tune in this morning. Boy, oh boy. Uh, Juan Carlos, we are ready. We're ready to see it. Uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that intro. When I come back, I'll bring on my man, Dennis Dick, and we'll talk about all the biggest headlines. Again, we'll be talking jobs data. Uh, we got some you know, some stuff on Tesla. Well, we're actually going to save the Tesla talk for our guest at 830. Um, but we've got some other headlines. Walmart, so Zempic warning, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, all these uh, stocks getting crushed yesterday. So let's roll that intro. And when we come back, uh, we will be talking all the biggest headlines on Wall Street. If you guys got any stocks or anything, as always, just drop them in the chat. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Most overused term on Benzinga, my man. Sorry, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try, I'll try to hone back on that one a little bit. How about my guy, my guy, Dennis? How we doing, Dennis? What's the most overused term? I missed that. He said, "My man," because I said I'm going to bring on my man. My Dennis. man. Yeah. Oh, my man. That's. Right. I don't know if it's overused. Maybe you overuse it. I maybe me. Yeah, much. I was going to say maybe it's just the maybe AB it's one thing, of your but... things. We all got our verbal ticks here. I still have them as well. We all got them. Can't break them. My man. I like my man though. I don't mind. Yeah. I look. I got my man on my shirt here. There he is. Whenever there he goes he away, I do this. I have there my Joel Alconnon shirt. He goes away. He's been going away quite a bit here. Boom. There he yeah. is. My man is joining me today. We got me, Joel, in the shirt, and we got AB. Let's go. Let's go on a Friday. And typically, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, Fridays on Wall Street are kind of quiet, slower days, especially news-wise. But today... We've got the jobs report, which you know yes. makes for make makes for a very exciting open, a very exciting pre market prep environment. Um, but yeah, uh, is, do you know? I know Joel doesn't like us talking about this, but is it Joel's actual birthday today? Was it yesterday? It was actually yesterday. Yes, Joel okay. turned eighty years old yesterday. I thought it was forty. <laughs> oh, you're so nice, Aaron. I always make him older. <laughs> 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 technically he's 60 but in the brain i think sometimes he's 80 i always make fun of him for forgetting stuff so actually he's got a pretty good memory so that isn't true he's probably in better shape than i am i'm 47 he's 60 he's in pretty good well, shape you know what he's you know what joel does swimming. i was I gonna mean, say he swims i was gonna say you know what joel does is he swims which is yeah. like i mean in my opinion like the best thing you can do especially you know, for people that are middle aged, whatever. I mean, running and and stuff is like so bad on your joints. But if you just swim some laps a few times a week, which I know is, it, it sounds a lot easier than it is, especially if you know if it's been years and years and years since you swam, you get in the pool and you try to do it. It's very very hard. But if you can, like Joel does, you can stay in great shape. Yeah, swimming key to life, key to staying young, Mister Alconan. So we will wish you a happy birthday. It, it was yesterday. I did text him yesterday. To wish him a happy birthday. So hope he's enjoying his little 
getaway. So let's bring it back to the markets. Let's do it. Let's start with the, I mean, you're, you, you, you follow the energy stocks pretty closely. It seems like we had some news in the, in the energy world. You want to start there? Yeah. So, and that's the major news here we do. And if you want to grab the headline here, it's from the wall street journal last night, breaking that XOM appears to be nearing a deal to buy PXD, something we predicted on this show a few months ago. I was long PXD for a while there, just had a big run up and I actually sold into it. It's funny. I sold it right around here. So it gets a 10% pop, which I would have rebought it yesterday. I, I kind of thought eventually somebody might buy PXD. It was a target. It had been rumored in the past. I'm like, I'm just making this up. It had been rumored in the past, but it was a likely target. So, you know, a business making a ton of money. Um, it, it, make, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. So is this going to be a done deal? We don't know the price. It is still just a rumor, but they said they're close. They're talking about a $60 billion market cap. If it goes off at $60 billion market cap, it would be around 257 258 um, Obviously, we don't know where it's going to go off, though. I think if they would have been buying you know, last week or a couple weeks ago, maybe been higher than that, but the stock's come down here now. So obviously, ExxonMobil may be looking at buying the dip. Yeah, and so looking at PXD, the stock pre-market looks like we're trading at around two thirty-six a share. So some, you know, arbitrage there if you think the deal, the deal's a for sure done deal. But I never really like playing those, Dennis. I mean, especially the day up. Like um, going back to the to the yeah. Microsoft Activision deal, there was a time like a month after the deal was announced that there were all these problems where Activision stock actually started trading down. Yeah. Maybe like 15% from where it was after the acquisition was announced, where it was like, okay, now if you think the deal's going through, you actually have a decent return. But usually the day of, there's such a spike up that it, it, it doesn't seem like it's the the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Or, or I don't it, know, is, that, is that how the saying goes? I don't know. <laughs> Especially um, when you're considering it's just a rumor, because sometimes these rumors don't materialize into anything. And then obviously, US Steel may be the best example here. It sits up here, it's waiting, waiting potential bidders they're opening up the books you know cleveland cliffs has been talked about there's been uh mt has been talking about it multiple people talking about it, but nothing has materialized here yet and i mean if all of a sudden they say well you know we're just going to stand alone you know we're not going to do a deal if x came out with something like that boom this thing's back at 24 dollars. so there is risk here now um pxd was rumored before as well as we were talking so it does make sense to me if you look the stock straight up at 236 so you're getting a pop the deal goes through, you probably get the 255 to 260. But if the deal doesn't go through, stock could come back down. So, I mean, that's why risk curves is kind of like a coin flip here. Is it going through as a deal or no deal? And then XOM predictably would be selling off because they're obviously paying a significant premium. The stock is getting hit pretty hard here. It's down $3 here now, which is a significant loss of market cap and a really significant loss of market cap if you're considering where the stock came from just over a week ago. It made a new high over 120. We're now looking at this thing at 105. Are we going to get a shot at ExxonMobil at 100? Yeah, I mean, this is all, all the energy stocks, you know, whether you're looking at Exxon or Chevron when oil, you know, three weeks ago, the headlines were oil hits, you know, their highest price of the year. All, you know, uh, oil was what, over $90 a barrel. And since then, uh, the oil prices, we talked about this yesterday, Dennis, coming off helping equities. But not these equities, not not no. Exxon and uh, and Chevron. These things have gotten crushed the past two weeks. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you like the energy trade, right? I mean, if you if you were buying Chevron or Exxon up here, Dennis, it's because you think we are for sure not going to a recession, and yes. that you know that this sell off is silly, and that you think the economy is fine, so you can buy it. And if 
that's your thesis and it ends up being true, then you will get paid out. You, you'll, you'll make money off that trade. But the risk is if, that if you're wrong here, then it looks like energy stocks got a way to fall. I mean, it's demand, right? So supply has been constrained. We know that's been what's driving oil prices here. But if we get a, a downtick in demand because the consumer is a little bit more strapped for cash, which I believe is happening, I think we're going to move into Tesla here for a second and we'll see a little bit more evidence of that. I mean, all this is, you know, when you're swing trading or long-term investing, trading is a different story. There's momentum, there's different things, but, you know, short-term trading. But, you know, you get out to, you know, you got a three-day, five-day, 10-day, three months, six month, nine month time horizon. All it is, is, you know, putting together, you know, a thesis, putting together, you know, your own picture, you know, put it together. And, you know, we're putting, you know, as we get more evidence, as we get more information, we keep putting more information together. The information that I'm seeing lately is that the economy is slowing down. You know, I've, I've talked about, you know, when I talked to my real estate buddy, Canada, not much happening. Rates are up. You know, we're seeing sales. You know, we had a new core warning. Obviously, airlines have been warning. We're seeing, you know, Disney cut prices for the first time ever like for kids i mean it's 50 bucks or something to go into the park which is you know i've never i can't remember the last time i heard disney cutting prices so something's up but then let's bring us to the next story here it's a good segue tesla's cutting prices here overnight yeah this was a headline one of the top headlines i saw this morning so tesla announced some new price cuts not the first one of the year i mean this has been there have been multiple price cuts on Tesla uh, this year, uh, the exact numbers for for uh, today's there were multiple, but the headline, you know, the Model Three went from around uh, forty thousand two hundred fifty dollars to thirty eight thousand, so about a thousand, uh, you know, dollars off, about you know thirteen fourteen hundred dollars off the Model Three, and on a forty thousand dollar car, that's not nothing. I mean, you're talking about like one, you know, twenty fifth of the price, so you're getting it. Uh, you know, maybe 5% off or so. But uh, I, I mean, look, if you're long Tesla, you can spin this any way you want, that Tesla will be able to sell more cars, get more Teslas on the road, that it's a long play, all these things. And that's all, it might be all like true and dandy. But for me, I mean, bottom line, Dennis, is if you're a company and you have one main product, which Tesla does and it's cars, and you're slashing the prices of those products, it's probably not a great sign. It at least gives us some insight into demand that demand might not be there right now as much as it was, say, this time last year. You don't cut prices when demand is robust. And this is telling us this story. Now, Tesla is very forgiven, and we're going to have this conversation with Michelle Krebs. They don't have, amazingly, and you know, I tweeted this out last night, Tesla is almost debt-free. That's an amazing thing to think about from where they were, you know, five or six years ago when they were, you know, making cars in the tent and, you know, people were saying, well, they're going to burn out cash and this company is eventually going under. You know, we had some very big people talking about this, you know, and obviously now you look at this cash free mega business that has significant sales debt free. I mean, that's just unbelievable. So we will talk about that when I'm going to ask Michelle Krebs about that, too. But let's just bring it back to the news of the day slashing prices you never want to see your company when they sell four vehicles or five vehicles whatever it is slashing prices disney you don't want to see them slashing prices it's telling you demand is not very good disney stock a little bit different story because the stock is in the gutter so expectations very low tesla stock not in the gutter tesla stock been holding up very well so now you get like oh you know demand's not that great here Ooh, ooh, market might be like you know where we're paying the, the earnings multiple is not insane. Let's just go to the pro. I don't know if you want to do this with me here, Aaron, but I yep. always go into the details. You know, the pro keeps the information very up to date in there. And you go to Tesla, you can see, 
uh, where the P is sitting. Forward P is 58. So it's not a cheap not stock, crazy. but it's not crazy. Not crazy. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's high. I mean, it's high. But again, you know, it kind of grow into that multiple. I mean, if you look at the growth, the growth's just, you know, been unbelievable for a lot of years. But the growth could slow down here, too. So, you know, well, I, I, I still like Tesla, but I just think like in this market environment, we're seeing demand, like when eventually does demand start to hit the Magnificent 7? Because it's one of the Magnificent 7 and they have been pretty much forgiven here. I mean, yes, Microsoft is off from the highs. Yes, Apple is up from the highs, but it's nothing like what has occurred in the small caps. The IWM are sitting at two year lows. You have, you know, so many other stocks sitting and giving back years of gains here. I mean, Disney's at a 10-year low. Not that Disney is Tesla, but I'm just saying there's a lot of stocks that have really been hit. Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Meta. So seventh one. I'm just ringing them off here. Um, anyways, the, the, the Magnificent Seven obviously has been just given the pass here. And it is because all those companies have very little debt. So I think, you know, we are in this crisis right now where rates are going higher and it's hitting capital intensive businesses. These businesses are not capital intensive anymore. They don't have a lot of debt. So, which is, you know, they can internally finance most of their operations, which is an advantage over a lot of other businesses. So that is why those stocks of seven continue to hold up. The question is, if, you know, you start to get some tick down demand, well, that's still hits, you know, potentially Apple, you know, maybe somebody's going to wait, I'm going to wait till the next upgrade cycle. Phones get hot, I'm a little bit stretched for cash. Maybe this upgrade cycle doesn't go so well. Microsoft, you know, maybe it's like, oh, I'm going to hold off, you know, on this or, you know, or Meta or Google. I mean, Amazon, all the same thing. You may start to hold off on some big ticket purchases because you're a little bit strapped for cash. 100%. And I mean, so I think the big kind of litmus test for Tesla here will be so last quarter or last uh, month, Tesla, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but Tesla's deliveries actually was a slight miss and went down month over month. So in the month of September, Tesla sold less cars than it did in August. Uh, that's not what you typically see for Tesla. Now, after these price cuts, what should happen is demand should increase a little bit to match that drop in price and Tesla should sell more cars at this lower price point. Dennis, if we see that Tesla's deliveries this month with the new price cuts still don't, you know, tick back up, then I think we have a serious demand problem. Because right now, if you can offset the price cuts with selling more vehicles, okay, fine. That's great. And a lot of people will probably say that's actually better for Tesla to get more cars on the roads and then, you know, get more customers it's their that marketing. way. They don't do it's any marketing. They market by having more cars on the road. Exactly. So, you know, if you're long Tesla, you could make that argument that it's better. But again, I mean, I know this is the, the classic Tesla mindset. It's not a car company. Uh, but hey, if 99% if of your revenue is coming from car sales or whatever it is, then to me, you're going to you're a car, then you're a car company. Um, and so, you know, and if a car company is slashing the prices of its cars just alone, that doesn't look great. So, again, I, I'd be curious. I, I want to see how this impacts delivery numbers going forward. If, for whatever reason, deliveries don't tick up even with the price cuts, then, Dennis, I think we've got a big D problem, a big demand problem. And, uh, you know, and it might, like you said, it might not be indicative of just Tesla overall. It could just be that's the economy. We're I think the consumer is going to have less money in 2024. I've said that. I'm in hard landing camp. I think we're going to slow down significantly. I don't think it's going to be a little dip. Every analyst 
their job. They all have relationships with all these companies here. It is their job to keep people positive. They There's very rarely, you get some boutique firms that come out because they don't have those relationships and they can kind of speak their mind. That's why it's very interesting when a smaller boutique firm gives a negative rating or a sell rating on a stock because they don't have all these relationships. But all these other companies, you know, have all these other analysts have relationships with all these companies. So their job is to be continuously positive all the time. And they spin stuff. I mean, put it all together. Put in the picture together. I mean, interest rates just can't go up this much and it doesn't eventually start to hit demand. We've seen what's happened to savings. I mean, everything just is logical here. You say, well, why didn't it go up? We, we raised interest rates from last year. Why are we not seeing it to go down? Because people were depleting their savings. That's what's happened. They had more money. People don't stop spending money until they're out of money. This is just the way the world works. It's a sad state of affairs, but the majority of people don't stop spending money until they don't have any money. That's just the way it works. So, so we've depleted the savings. We've increased the credit card debt. And now we're looking at higher rates. If you want to finance, you want to go buy that car? Well, you're going to have to finance the majority of it because we don't have any money to go pay for it. Oh, it's not 0% financing? Oh, it's not 2% financing? Oh, it's 8% financing? I can't make that payment. I'm not buying that new car. I think that's coming not just for Tesla. I think that's coming. And Tesla's kind of like a higher end thing. I think it's really going to come for GM and Ford. I think GM and Ford are in the perfect storm here where they're going to get a horrible deal from the UAW based on record sales. And you're going to see demand go fall off a cliff for them in 2024. So they're going to sign this new deal. Stock's going to bump up. Oh, yay. You know, yay. And then it's going to be like margins are going to get the hell squeezed out of them because you're going to have increased labor costs, increased costs all around, and you're going to have decreasing demand. And I would not be surprised if GM and Ford actually start to not be cash flow positive in 2024. That's my call. Yeah. And I actually, so I've been kind of, I have a trade dentist that I've been uh, eyeing. I haven't put it out there yet for that's kind of bracing for this type of consumer slowdown. Um, can I give it to you real quick? I want to hear your yes. thoughts. Yeah. All right. Please. So basically I've heard anecdotally from a lot of people my age that, you know, that are basically like, oh yeah, you know, I spent a lot of money this summer. I'm going to try to start trying to save some money, you know, pay off credit card, whatever it is for young people. I think like the number one thing that people will start cutting out earlier, maybe the easiest thing to start cutting out when the people are trying to save a few extra bucks a month will be cutting out food delivery. Cause I know so many people that'll be like, okay, let's get so-and-so for dinner. Next thing you know, you're turning a $10 McDonald's meal into a $25 meal with something like Uber Eats. So right now, Uber makes a third of its revenue from Uber Eats. Whereas Lyft doesn't really have the same exposure to the food delivery world. So I kind of like an, a long Lyft and Lyft is getting beat up, might, might find some consolidation down here. Because my, basically my thought process is the rides that ride demand will fall in a recession or fall when people are trying to save money, but not as much maybe as the food delivery. So I kind of like a short Uber trade against Uber Eats and then a long Lyft pair trade and then to see if, you know, that kind of if, if my thesis is right and that Uber Eats revenue starts dropping off as people start trying to save money. So saying, you know, that even if demand goes down for Lyft rides and Uber rides, that goes down together. But the Uber Eats trumps it and then that falls down farther. It's an interesting thesis. The reason I wouldn't make this pair trade is I would hate owning worst of breed stocks. I like owning best of breed. And there's no doubt that Uber is best of breed here. I mean, people don't, Uber is almost a verb. It's not like 
Um, it's like Google to search. It was, you know, became a verb. Oh, I'm going to go Google it. Oh, let's Uber it. I mean, it became a verb and you never want to fight the verb. When they start talking about the verb, people don't think about Lyft. They think about Uber. So I think Lyft has just got a lot of challenges ahead. Obviously, you know, they, they haven't had the growth. They haven't had you know, the management, but they just don't have the verb either. So we've seen Microsoft's fight, you know, bing it. They were trying to go, let's bing it. You know, they came up with bing, Microsoft, to fight the verb. That was the whole reason for coming out with bing, because it's easier to say than Google it. Let's bing it. But the bing sucks. The bing, even though it's got chat GPT attached and they're still trying to go with it, the, yeah, the, it bing, the bing just sucks. Right. It might not suck now, but it did at least when it when they rolled it out to try to compete oh, gosh. with Google. It was, you bing was something no and you can't find what you're looking for. You Google and you find it immediately. The search engine itself just is not as good. I'm, yeah. And Lyft, just as good, but it's the verb. You're fighting the verb. That's why I just think Lyft, I think it goes a lot lower in the long term. Could you okay. get that relief? You know, Could Uber fall further? Because Lyft has already been, this is the reason why it might work in the short term, Aaron. It, and again, I wouldn't get married to this because I don't like buying worst of breed. But Lyft has just been crushed. Absolutely crushed. A lot of well, bad news priced into Lyft. Uber has not really been crushed. Uber has been going up. So they're the exact opposite. So you could say, we're going to a recession. Well, a lot of bad news already priced in Lyft. Not a lot of bad news priced in Uber. Maybe we see that spread come in a little bit here. But I'm never going to short best of breed and buy worst of breed. So I wouldn't put the trade on for only that reason. Got it. Well, I haven't, you know, full disclosure, like I haven't really done my full due diligence. That's why I haven't put the trade out there yet. So maybe by, you know, looking into this, the answer is, okay, maybe I, I just put a small short on Uber and don't buy Lyft. Or maybe I, I try to, uh, you know, target the food delivery industry more, you know, more targeted by shorting just Dash or something like that. Well, Dash is your pure play. Yeah, if you're thinking yeah. this is going to happen, I mean, I'm with you on this one. Actually, even the technical setup on Dash looks pretty crappy. This stock looks like it broke down on Friday, breaking down, nosebleed valuation. Let's just go have some fun to our Benzinga Pro and just see where that valuation is. P is 85, 85, 85. I'm, I'm wow. telling you, I'm telling you, Dennis, like I've, I've, I've been with, you know, it, it's very, people will order something from one of these places and it, it is like legit, like a $40 dinner. When no, you they order. make some money. It's a yeah. smart business. It's definitely they make a, lot a of smart money. business. And I got I a buddy that, 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 that will like literally door dash himself ice cream. You know, like he's sitting there and he's got his kids and he's like, I'm just playing around with them. So I, he goes on his DoorDash. He DoorDashes everything. They show up and it's $10. I don't even know how you door. How does it get there not melt? I don't know. He, you know, you, I don't you know, know how that even works. But anyway, you know who he does do it. You know who does that, though? Who? Jason Rasnick. He DoorDashes ice cream? He'll DoorDash any, yeah, he'll DoorDash like a He's smoothie. He's the same way. He'll DoorDash Raz, a smoothie, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like, Raz, like a smoothie. By the time it sits 10 minutes in the car and gets to Tastes you. Tastes like crap. It, yeah, it's done. And so Raz, Raz will. cone right away. I mean, I get the ice cream cone at the, you know, at McDonald's or wherever it is. I give it to my kid right away. Lick it, because it's dripping already. How do you do that? I don't know. I guess they got like a freezer, maybe a little tray. Maybe they have some way to do it there. But DoorDash, you can DoorDash anything. But, but again, the... do I want to pay 85 times earnings for DoorDash? In an, in an environment where I'm predicting, no, I don't know anything, I don't have a crystal ball, but I am predicting a slowdown in 2024. Those are not the kind of companies you want to own in a slowdown in 2024, if, if, no, we friends, we're, to a, if we go into that slowdown. 
we're saying they make a lot of money on the on every deal. So if, if I ordered a fifteen dollar sandwich and fries from a place, by the time it gets to me, it's like thirty dollars. Oh, they make so uh, much money. Yeah, and especially if you throw a tip on there and everything. But um, and I also but they make I get, so much money, and it's trading eighty five times earnings. You think yeah. about how much money they make. So I mean, there's still you are paying for all that money that they make. You're paying, and if you don't understand P, if you're new to the game, what P basically says is they continue to make money at this rate. It will take you 85 years to get your initial investment back in earnings. Now, they're growing earnings. They're growing earnings like crazy. Revenue growth here is 34%. So, I mean, it's significant. So, that E will come down in time as long as that, obviously, but until it's you know, not, until, the, the, P, until the... the P comes down in time as long as the E keeps going up. Yeah. And again, I have to do more research on this trade. And if I do and I have any findings, I'll come back on the show, Dennis, if you'll have me and I'll, I'll say it. But I also, part of it is I think younger people like kids my age say like 25 to 35 might be impacted by a slowdown a little bit more like they might be pinching pennies a little bit more than if you're looking at someone who's 60 and already got you know For all sure. their money and they don't and like like a Raznik probably will be able to still door dash throughout this but myself I'm not going to and I yeah. think without looking at the numbers DoorDash and these Uber that Uber Eats and stuff have a lot of younger users relative to the demo, you know, because I think, you know, a lot of people are, are you know, more willing to use those apps and stuff. Younger people compared to people in their 60s, 70s or whatever. So if the younger people need to save money more and that's their core customer, then that could not be great for them over time. Again, this is nothing. This is just like a thesis I have. I haven't, you know, really this, dug into a lot of the numbers. This whole thesis you have is the thesis that I have. It is why I remain heavy cash in my long-term portfolio. Like I have a dedicated RSP. It's like an IRA. It's only job. I can't use that money. I can't withdraw because I withdraw it. I get taxed on it. So it just stays in there. So its only job is to invest in the stock market. I'm over half cash. I shouldn't be over half cash. I'm only 47 years old. Probably don't need that money for at least 10 years. So, you know, if I was went into an investment advisor, I'd be like, you're nuts. What are you doing with all this cash? Get this money invested because the market goes up over time. I'm a market timer though. And I still feel like there is a lot of trouble ahead. And I don't feel like valuation is reasonable anymore. When I was buying Apple, I give the story all the time. Back in 2012, I was trading 11 times earnings. It's trading 28 times earnings. I mean, you've got to know what you're paying for here. Um, Apple doesn't have the growth that a DoorDash does either. So you can't compare apples to Apple and say, oh, DoorDash is 85. So I'm definitely not buying that one. Some of these companies can grow into these multiples. But Apple was funny. It was growing so fast that the multiple couldn't even keep up. That's not the yeah. case anymore. So there's just, you know, and, and we've had a rally and the Magnificent Seven is forgiven and we're going to have this debt talk here shortly. But I mean, there is, you know, the, the reason that the Magnificent Seven continues to be forgiven is that they just don't have a lot of debt. Obviously, NVIDIA was the other one that I wasn't thinking about. But yeah, NVIDIA is the other of the big seven. Yeah, well, it took NVIDIA, I mean, a while to catch up to that. But I mean, now they have and, and surpassed it. But for a while, it was trading at a crazy. And that's the thing when, when you're looking at PEs and stuff. And I, I love, you know, value investors that want to, you know, dig into the numbers, the fundamentals of a company and, and really do all that due diligence before Support. they buy. But if you're if you're only looking at the multiples and you're always saying this is so expensive and you're not factoring in the growth, then you would have missed out on a lot of these great investment opportunities yes. over the past, you know, 25 years. And uh, Apple was such a no brainer. Like that's why in 2012 and you know my buddy Chris Banyan, who's a, a fantastic investor, fantastic trader. I traded with him at Bright as well. I talk about him on the show every once in a while. Um, you know, he was back, you know, in 2007, 2008, you know, when the iPhone, we first had, he was first on the Apple train, you know, when the iPods, you know, or I, I, you remember the iPod came out, 
Oh, and then yeah. it came out with the digital one. You could flip through. He's like, look at this thing. He's like, you yeah. tell me everybody didn't go want to buy this thing. Then they turned that into the iPhone. And that's just when the company exploded. But I mean, it was such a no-brainer back then because it was only trading 12 times earnings and it had explosive growth. So it's one thing to pay 12 times earnings for explosive growth. It's quite another to pay 85 times earnings for explosive growth. That growth better be really, really explosive. So, I mean, yeah. you've got to really analyze your path of earnings, you know, what you think the companies can grow into is all that stuff. But anyways, we continue to leak. We only have two minutes before the jobs number here. Yeah, Maybe I was going to say a quick preview. Let's do a quick preview. So uh, jobs data coming out in two minutes, of course. Uh, the expectation is for the U.S. economy to add 170,000 jobs uh, in September. And that would be down about 17,000 jobs from 187 the month before in August. Unemployment, Dennis, is actually supposed to drop from 3.8% to 3.7%. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if we get that confirmation because even – I mean, I don't know. Here's the thing, Dennis, is does the mark will the marker interpret that if the numbers come in as expected, a slight drop in uh, unemployment, but also a slight drop in jobs added? Will that be good that it came in at expectations or will it be seen as bad because it's still showing that the labor market is tight? <laughs> I mean, we're in this environment where it's all perception. And the funny thing was they always took these numbers with a silver lining a few months ago and they'd be like, Oh, well, you know, yeah, the number's a little bit slow. That means the Fed's going to be done. So, you know, that's good. Even the economy, we need it to slow a little bit. Well, right now, everybody wants to be in this soft landing. The bulls really don't have a lot, you know, going on because the stocks have come down. So they're full soft landing. So they actually want to see that we're not slowing down too much. But at the same time, they, want, they don't want to give data to the Fed to make them go a quarter at the next meeting. So I think we're just going to get a lot of chop here. That's my prediction. 10 seconds for the number. I think you're going to see a give me, hell Yeah, give me the chop. prediction. A lot of chop. chop. Up, I think down, the, left, right, BA, select, I, start. I think the jobs numbers are going to come in. I think the jobs jobs numbers are going to come in better than expected. And the Ooh, market's actually going to. gosh, gonna... not good. No. No, look, but chop. We hit down to 22, like 50 then. Then we just popped right back up. We are we are crazy chop. Crazy chop. Give us these numbers here. Aaron, oh, we're getting hit. We're getting hit hard. All right, let's see. I'm, all right, my prediction was wrong. Because my prediction was that jobs numbers holy, are going to be good. Holy, holy. Hammered. Uh, U.S. non-farm payrolls for September. Holy shit. 336,000 jobs compared to... Uh, okay, but wait. Look, the uh, unemployment rate for September, 3.8% uh, versus 3.7. Okay, so unemployment didn't drop like it was supposed to, but the jobs numbers that we added were like double what the expectation was, which was... This isn't the first time we saw that. We had that a couple prints ago where the jobs number like came in at like 800, like something crazy higher Holy than the crap. expectation. Um, let's go to the spy real quick. Normally, I don't stay on the show because I usually have Joel and Mitch going there so I can trade these numbers. That's oh, a yeah, do your move. Do, do, no, do, no, do no, thing. it's all right. I'm going to stick with you guys because you need me here. No, I just meant you stay on, but do I'm your trade. I'm actually buying I'll talk. the dip. So right now, I actually am just doing a little bit of arbitrage. I am buying this dip a little bit here, but I shorted a couple of things. Like I got short some Berkshire Hathaway right off the off the number there. So, like, hammer the bed. Like, when you're trading this kind of stuff, you just hammer bits. I'm like, holy, oh. that's a fall. That's a 35-handle fall in about 20 seconds. Holy, um, holy So, holy. okay, here's here's the thing. The market now is getting crushed. You see this uh, S&P 500 down about eight-tenths of a percent now pre-market on the news. On the news that the uh, U.S. economy is doing, again, better than expected, better than economists anticipated that we uh, held up. 
hourly earnings are up again you know the the fed doesn't want to see wage growth right now because that's one of the prime drivers of inflation but here's the thing and as the market you know gets crushed pre-market and if we if we continue to get crushed today all the talks are about the rates and how uh, you know, the 10 year yield is at the highest uh, point since 2007. Mortgage rates are at the pat are at the highest since 2000. And the way that people are talking about rates to me, Dennis, it feels like people are almost talking about rates as if they're like in a vacuum, like rates are where they're at now. This is all that matters. So stocks are, are going to go lower because rates are high. Well, when you're talking about the rates being high, it's important to note that the only reason rates are this high is because of numbers like this, because the economy has proven to be so strong. So everyone that is so bearish because of high rates, I feel like you got to keep that in mind that the other side of that coin is that the economy has just been like so damn strong. And to me, it's hard to be like that bearish against this market when the underlying numbers are so good and the economy has held up so well. I mean, you had people like, like um, Professor Siegel from Wharton going on CNBC a year ago when the Fed was raising rates above three and a half percent, saying that the Fed was engineering a recession and that we were all screwed and they're screwing up by raising rates. Clearly not. Clearly, the economy has has the uh, the the power behind it to tolerate some of these rate hikes or else you wouldn't see the labor market still being this strong. Um, so, again, like anytime someone's talking about high rates right now, the other, you know, in your back of your mind, you should be thinking, yeah, high rates, but also super strong economy. So those kind of work together. I mean, this gives the Fed a little bit more ammunition to go that last quarter that we've been talking about here. So, but I mean, if you really look here, TLT, here, here's your tell, and you don't even need to analyze the numbers. You just look at what the TLT is doing. We just fell a buck and a half on the TLT on this number. We are now making a new 52-week low. We are now making a new 16-year low in the TLT. This market is very worried about rates just ju you know and and it should be i mean this is the issue right so this market is very worried about interest rates i am very worried about interest rates um i don't even know what to say i mean i thought you know we were gonna get some chop we didn't get some chop here we went straight down tlt hammered everything hammered here i bought a little bit of the dip here I'm even getting hit on it here to a certain extent. But again, I got hedged. I got short some other stuff, which I talked about. But holy mackerel, this is just a disaster number for the Bulls. Well, I mean, even with the number, I mean, I've been, again, this is just my prediction. I don't know. I'm not an economist. Don't know what I'm talking about. But if, I mean, look, I don't think the Fed's going to be, I mean, another 25 basis. We've, 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 we've raised interest rates 500 basis points over the past year and a half. What's another twenty five? You know, I don't think this this last twenty five. Yeah, rate, I don't think. I don't give think the a Fed's, perspective, sure. You I don't know, think the we, Fed's doing much more than that. I mean, I don't. Th you know, at least we'll we'll do the other twenty five and then wait a month and we'll see from there. And if we get another jobs data like this, but I just don't see, uh, you know, them doing much more than that. And I also don't see that the twenty five basis points that's going to be, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. And that that twenty five basis points after we've already raised them five hundred over the last two years is going to be you know, the deciding factor. I think this is all kind of just, you know, we're, we're still trying to kind of find that equilibrium of what will be the rates that end up really kind of slowing down this labor market and then thus uh, bringing inflation down to the Fed's target, which of course we're still not at yet. There is, I'm, I'm wrong with this chop call because we have not had any chop whatsoever. We have pretty much been straight down since this number here. 
I'm going to just go right back to like not trying to think about, you know, this number and its context of the Fed because it does give them a little bit more ammunition to go. What does this number mean in the context of TLT? It's telling you. We're breaking down TLT, no bounce, breaking down here again. You can't be in stocks. The TLT is making new lows. Right now, this market's all it cares about is rates. TLT going down, rates going higher here once again. Not good for the bulls. I think I think we'll see a bounce here, Dennis. I'm I'm pretty confident. Always get we- a bounce. And here is the key to trading is not panicking, selling, you know, when you've got a bearish thesis, selling on the rips. When you got a bullish thesis, it's buying on the dips. That's pretty much what I do. You see the thing dipping, you got a bullish thesis, maybe you're buying those stocks. You see, you know, your stock ripping, you got a bearish thesis on it, that's when you're using the opportunity to sell the stocks. Trend trading, all that kind of works. But the core strategy, selling rips, buying dips, just works in so many markets. It didn't work in 2020 because everything was just going straight up. But buy the dip worked very well. Sell the rip didn't work at all because everything was just going straight up. But overall, markets chop around. Overall, contrarian strategies pay the bills. 23 years, I'm a contrarian. Joel's a contrarian. Been in this business for a long time because we're not afraid to go against the trend. I'm not saying go in here and load up stocks here. We're breaking down. I don't want to own stocks and the TLT is making a new low. It's my tell. Let the dust settle here if you're looking, you know, at like, oh, I got to get my money in there. You could have said the last week, get your money in there, and it's a mistake. The stocks continue to go lower. But the Magnificent 7 has been so forgiven here. I don't know if it's going to be continued to forgiven or not. Obviously, NVIDIA has come back a long ways. We talked about the 450. It's still holding on pretty well. There's still that story. There's still going to be that buy the dip demand there because everybody wants to be in those stocks. But And they don't have debt, which, you know, we're going to bring Michelle. Maybe it's a good time to bring her on here right now and talk the automotives. But just numbers doing nothing to help the bull thesis. Yeah, and we'll bring Michelle on in one minute. I wanted to uh, wrap this up, the you know, th- this discussion. We're talking about rates and stuff, and I see John Lewis uh, dropping a comment about the Fed. Uh, Fed and members are losing respect. What, Dennis? In this, you know, just quick question, and we'll move to Michelle. What I mean, what would you re- uh, grade the Fed's response? I don't want to, you know, I know probably the Fed waited too long to raise rates coming out of COVID when the markets got crazy, but since then, from when inflation started going up. How would you grade the Fed's response over, say, the last year and a half? Oh, I think the Fed's done a good job. I mean, with I everything, consider where the hand that they're given here. But again, what they're, the hand that they were given, they created by themselves. Right. So they probably <laughs> they made did that such bed. a poor job you know, going into this. You know, The free money just stayed free for way too long. Everybody's too consumed with debt, you know, and there's really no way to seems like seemingly to get out from underneath it. But I mean, they've navigated. This, you know, rising rate environment, like they could raising rates and they haven't, you know, teetered. Like sometimes you get, oh, wow, they're going to back off. You know, yeah. I mean, there's just, it's, it's, I think he's done a good job. I just think that at a certain point in time, soft landing, which they keep thinking they're in the soft landing camp they're going to get. I just think at a certain point in time, it's not going to be possible. Yeah. And I mean, so, I mean, like, say what you want about the Fed. Obviously, like we said, they kind of made that bed. But at the end of the day, looking back where we were a year and a half ago, if you told me that that inflation will have fallen substantially, meanwhile, unemployment will also have gone gone down somehow. I would have told you you're crazy. You're right. And so just taking those two facts into into account, you have to say that they've done like at least decent job. So I think, you know, really again, the Fed, they shouldn't get too much credit because they made that bet in the first place. But since then, they've kind of mitigated that master I, or that uh, disaster, I feel like, pretty masterfully. 
Um, and, and we'll, again, see from there what happens. But right now, I, I think they've done a pretty good job over the last year and a half, kind of contrary to what you might hear. But all right, Dennis, it is about 840. So without further ado, let's bring our guest on of the day. We've got Michelle Krebs. The, uh, she's at Cox Automotive, the director of automotive relations. So a perfect time to be bringing Michelle on. Of course, we've got the automotive strikes here in Detroit, um, as well as other things happening in the automotive world. So without further ado, let's go ahead and give Michelle our, our special little guest bumper and bring her on. <laughs> Michelle Krebs, welcome to Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? I'm good. I think you're also joining us from somewhere in the Detroit metro area? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, I won't ask for too, too uh, exact details of your location, but as you can see, <laughs> we're right here downtown Campus Martius. Yeah, um, I'm across the border, actually. So I. Oh, there you go. And Dennis is uh, neck of the woods. Oh, Windsor? Uh, are, you, are you in Windsor? I'm in Amherstburg. Amherstburg, holy! We go. I got all kinds of friends out. I was. I lived in Windsor for twenty-five years, so I didn't realize that Michelle's Canadian. Yeah, I awesome. The cottage here, I, so I'm hanging out here in this beautiful, Amherstburg, world. beautiful little town. Love that. Mm -hmm. So, Michelle, give us the latest on the. I mean, you know, of course, we've got these strikes going on, and what, 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 what's the latest? Well, so, what are you watching? So, back up to to um, dovetail with your conversation. What's amazing is the consumer, at least in the third quarter was unfazed by the strike, which started at the very end of the quarter, but also um, high, rising interest rates, which just amazes us. We keep upping our forecast for the year, and we keep wondering when rates are really going to um, slow down car sales. But car sales for the quarter, or for September, were up 20%. They, not all the numbers are in for the quarter, but it looks like they were 17% ahead of last year, which puts us for the year, about 15% ahead of last year. So, you know, the, the consumer just is still buying cars. Could the strike actually drive sales? Like if, if I'm a consumer and I'm in the market for a new car right now, and maybe I was like, oh, I'll buy a new car in six months. But maybe now with the strike going on, I'm like, oh, I better get that car now before the, the production slows down and there's a shortage. Um, we aren't seeing that. Um, okay. And in fact, we're, we're not seeing much impact yet on the uh, Detroit 3. Uh, you didn't, Stellantis sales were down. They were the only automaker that was really down besides Tesla. Um, uh, but um, it, there's, and there's still plenty of inventory. Stellantis, for example, has a lot of inventory. Um, GM is the one that's uh, kind of hurting on inventory. And if the strike goes on uh, longer, or if they target more uh, plants, then they could see some shortages and that would uh, probably cause uh, consumers to wait till there is more inventory. Michelle, let's just talk. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, you're talking demand has been very robust. You know, the, the consumer continues. You start talking September car sales. I mean, what it, where is the tipping point here? Is there a tipping point coming? Because interest rates can't keep going up and people are just going to keep finding the money to buy cars. Are they, are you predicting like what's, what's Cox automotive say about 2024 when they're looking at, you know, automotive demand, are we predicting, you know, increasing sales here or are they looking at eventually interest rates are going to tick down or tick or, or maybe interest rates tick down, but car sales start ticking down as rates continue to, to show no sign of, of slowing down. Well, those are good questions and things we're pondering right now. Um, our, our current forecast is that, uh, we will see sales increase a little bit in 2024. 
Um, but you know, so much is going on that it's, we're, we're just not sure we, you know, what is the tipping point? We don't know. We, we had thought the interest rates would really slow down sales, um, this year and it just hasn't been the case, you know, and, but affordability is an issue with a lot of people. On the other hand, we're seeing more and more people pay cash for vehicles. So it's really become the new vehicle market has really become, you know, uh, the affluent person's market. The subprime borrowers have been pushed out of the market. We estimate about 10% of typical new vehicle buyers have been pushed out because of interest rates, because of, you know, being subprime borrowers. Um, so it's just a more limited market. On the other hand, those buyers are buying very expensive vehicles. So that means better, bigger profits for the automakers. News from Tesla here today, too, that they're cutting prices here once again. Um, you know, the Tesla bulls will say, well, yeah, this is going to get more Tesla cars on the road, and that's what they want. But I always say, you know, you're cutting prices usually just take it at face value. It means demand isn't as strong as it was prior, or they wouldn't be cutting prices. Thoughts here as, you know, if we get this information that Tesla's cutting prices. Right. And and Tesla kind of keeps everybody off guard by constantly changing prices. But um, we they did come in, sales for uh, Tesla for the quarter came in softer than uh, analysts uh, thought. It had been expected to be a little bit soft just because they were changing over some plants and production was down. But um, uh, yeah, it's clearly to um, keep their sales up and and finish out the year strong. Yeah. And so, I mean, right now with with Tesla, would you expect those sales to pick back up with this these price cuts? Or do you think that, you know, there could that could be a sign of some bigger underlying demand problems? Well, we do wonder, you know, uh, what is the demand uh, going forward and what is the demand particularly for EVs? Um, because, you know, we the mark, the initial buyers were, you know, affluent early adopters. Now we've got to get into the mainstream buyers. And I think that's some of what uh, uh, Tesla's trying to do is and they're they're also trying to make those vehicles uh, available priced so that they can be bought by with the tax credit. Um it's just, it's, it's a big question as to, you know, just how much demand is there right at this moment? And there are other competitors, you know, that there are, there are other competitors coming out. Obviously Tesla dominates the EV market uh, and we anticipate that will continue to be the true, the, way yeah i think it'll be interesting with tesla to see like you said kind of as they start historically tesla's consumer base has been the high-end consumer that can afford the luxury car but now as they try to venture into that mainstream oh they have i mean they've had the cheap the cheaper model three for a while now but Mm -hmm. uh you know you gotta like if they drop prices on that again and it's their cheapest car and delivery numbers go way up for that, it might look great to investors at first, but then those margins aren't going to be as high on the back end. So it might not have the same impact on revenue. Um, you know, you, you mentioned competitors to Tesla, Michelle, we, we had some news this week with Rivian. Um, is that a company that you, you know, follow and, and, and kind of keep an eye on? I have to be a little bit careful on that because Cox Automotive is an investor in Rivian. So, oh, so you'll have okay. So are you, or can you not make any comments or you just have to be careful well, about what I, you, you know, can say I, on Rivian? Just what's in the head. It's kind of interesting. Way to dig, AB. Way to dig. <laughs> well, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I, I mean... The media, the media guide them. Well, what, define what you can say and what you no, can't what, say. Go what's ahead, interesting Michelle. about it is I probably know less about them because we keep that wall up. But you right. know, from what you read, they their deliveries were stronger than anticipated. That was the good news of the week. But then 
Um, their stock went, price went way down because of um, going out to uh, generate more money. So, and there was a big Wall Street Journal piece this week about them losing $33,000 on every vehicle they sell. So, and that's the challenge. I mean, nobody's Tesla, uh, the, being the exception, are no one's making money on EVs, really. Yeah, I think they also talked about Lucid Motors in that report too, as, as another company that was spending a lot of money per car. Yes. Sorry, Dennis, go ahead. Uh, I was going to expand on that. Like, how you know? How do you see GM and Ford? Obviously, you know we're we're here. To, you know, Detroit, the big three here. How do you see GM, Ford, Slant? Are they going to be able to like start making money on EVs eventually here? Like, what is the path to profitability? Is what I'm asking for the big three to make money in EVs? Well, first it's volume and we aren't even that close to that, uh, you know, and everybody's had hiccups. Uh, GM struggling to produce enough Altium batteries. It's its own design with LG Chem. Um, and uh, uh, Ford has some has had some issues with the F-150 Lightning. They're, they are bringing some of them back for quality checks. So there's there's been a lot of toe stubbing along the way. So meantime, I, I would note that Toyota, a third of its sales this, and they had higher sales this quarter, um, this last month were uh, hybrids. And that's, you know, everybody's criticized uh, Toyota for not going uh, strong into EVs and focusing on hybrids, but it's a winning strategy for them right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm, Michelle, I actually drive a Toyota. So, you know, like you have to be careful with what you say about Rivian. I have to be careful yeah. about what I say about Toyota. Cause if I say anything <laughs> bad, it's got a relationship say, with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, let's see. Uh, Dennis, do you want to ask? Yeah. Michelle so, about so the, I did the, a little the... exercise here and, um, you know, and I know the answer to a certain extent, but you know, I was just looking at Ford's debt and, and general motors debt and the debt of Toyota, you know, it's an incredible amount of debt there. Obviously a lot of that debt is because of their financing division. Uh, but when you compare, I don't know if you can see this that we're showing here, Tesla is almost debt free. So like I've been arguing here for a while that, you know, debt free companies, not just looking at automotive industry, but debt free companies have done a little bit better here um, over the course of the last little while than companies with a lot of debt. So really what in the recent market sell-off, they've been hitting companies with a lot of debt because rates have been going up here. Tesla is basically debt-free here now because they don't have a financing division. Ford GM have the financing division. I'm, I'm curious to you, how do higher rates impact Ford and GM because they have so much debt? And, uh, is this a net benefit because then they can charge more, obviously, you know, higher rates to the customers and to the dealerships, you know, but they're borrowing from the banks. How does it, how's the debt impact Ford and GM? You're out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, I took you right out of there. You're in the sales. You're on the revenue side. The demand yeah. side. Well, it, but I would say that, um, you know, I probably revenues would and sales would not be what they were if GM and Ford did not have their credit divisions because For sure. they put, they make through, a lot of money off of that. They make a lot of money off those and it's a lure to, um, to customers to finance through them because they very often uh, have the best rates. All right, Michelle, maybe I'll, I'll try to bring you back to your wheelhouse a little bit right here. Um, I, uh, I, there's some very two opposing different messages or viewpoints going out right now about the uh, UAW strikes from the, ex uh, excuse me, from the executives of the automotive companies, you know, you hear, Mary Barra and stuff saying that the, the deals would make the automotive companies go out of business. 
Meanwhile, uh, a lot of analysts over at the big banks, this is from Morgan Stanley's uh, Adam jo Jonas, uh, has continued to say the firm is largely a buyer across much of our sector leading up and during contract negotiations. He estimates labor costs only account for around 4% of the global revenues for the Detroit automakers. So if, if labor costs only account for 4% of the total revenues of the companies, and then you have the CEO saying that the deals would make them go out of business, I mean, those are two very conflicting viewpoints. I don't know what to think. Which one do you think is, is more true? Well, I, it is true that the, the labor cost is a small percentage. It's under 5%. Um, but uh, you have to look at what's going forward. I mean, what the CEOs of the Detroit automakers are looking at is the move to electrification. Um, and that's, as we talked about, they're not making money. They're plowing a ton of money into it. And so they want to be as competitive as possible. And the big hang up is the joint venture battery plants. The UAW wants them to be unionized. They want them to be covered under the National Labor Agreement. Uh, the automakers insist they're separate corporate entities. They can't be uh, covered under the labor agreement. And then there's a lot of other things. It's not just the wages. It's, you know, they, the union wants uh, to go back to a defined pension. They want to go back to COLA. Um, and so there's a lot and there's all kinds of things that happen on the the factory floor that uh, in terms of how jobs are done that um, are of issue. So uh, those are the big stumbling blocks. We may hear something today. Uh, UAW President Sean Payne is uh, doing a uh, his weekly Facebook Live um, uh, update at two o'clock today. So we'll see if they expand the strike, if they're close to a deal. We are hearing there's reporting that they're um, they've had very active uh, negotiations this week, particularly with Ford and Stellantis. So my bet is we'll probably see a deal with Ford first. Okay, there you go. Some progress might be made on the strikes. Well, uh, Michelle, again, it was perfect timing to get you on the show today to discuss some of these things. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoy the rest of your Friday and, and have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Michelle. All right, guys, that was Michelle Krebs from Cox Automotive. Uh, make sure to smash the like for Michelle. Always great to get some insights into the automotive industry, of course, because we are, you know, here in Detroit. But yeah, I, Dennis, I thought that was so interesting how, you know, you had the CEOs of the company saying this is going to make us go out of business. And you have all these people saying, oh, my God, the unions are destroying the companies. And then at the same exact time, the analysts at the big banks are like, oh, yeah, we're buying these stocks. We think this is going to be good for the companies long term. So I was like, wait. What is what what is wait wait a second this is two completely opposite sides of the of the of the spectrum in terms of opinion on, on this yeah um and I, I mean we're just, this is just the way that everybody spins everything I mean this is just how the, the industry works how Wall Street works everything gets spun to make it sound oh this isn't too bad so yeah. it's the way it's the way it works it's the way Wall Street has always worked um yeah. I want to go back though to that tweet because they want to discuss it. I know I had a lot of interest in when I put it out there last night. I just want to explain a few things here. So show that sheet again. Obviously, Michelle, Michelle didn't want to dive into it, but I'll dive into it because I put the tweet together last night. Just looking, simple, simplistic looking, you know, at debt. Because this recent sell-off in the overall stock market is because we've got a hell of a lot of debt in a lot of companies. And the companies that have the most debt have been getting hit the hardest. Utility stocks, loaded with debt we've talked about this before and maybe i'll know do a little expansion look but you know any huge amount of debt stock goes down every single day this was just you know to compare gm and ford and tesla though the big reason why 
Tesla doesn't have any debt. This is the big reason. And, and thanks to Twitter, you know, to pointing this out, multiple people on Twitter pointing this out, is they don't have a financing division. So they don't have to finance. So they don't have dealerships, you know, where you got, you know, you go into your lot and you're going to go walk through the lot with all the Teslas. There, there's all financing behind all that. And obviously, you know, they don't have to finance the car purchases either. So, I mean, you, you yourself, AB, own a Toyota, you know, to, and, and, and talk to that point. I mean, you pay Toyota. So Toyota has a ton of debt because they have that huge financing arm. So is that a benefit? You know, do they make money from this stuff? Yeah. But does that impact in a rising rate environment? And this is what I was trying to get Michelle to say, but she didn't want to talk about it. Um, in a rising interest rate environment, you got to think that that's not good for any companies that have debt because foreign GM are basically like banks to a certain extent here. They're borrowing from the banks and then they're lending to the dealerships and their and their customers. So, I mean, if you get into a situation where the bank rates are the, where they've got to refinance some of this debt that they're borrowing goes up and you've got people on fixed auto loans, maybe some of them are in all fixed. Are you on a fixed auto loan? Talk about your auto loan with Toyota. Just so yeah, I needed to get a new car uh, like two and a half years ago. It was it was during kind of COVID when the used car prices were insane. And I was looking at used cars and they were so expensive that I ended up having to to lease a brand new car from Toyota instead. Yeah, I'm locked into my, I mean, my, my car payment's the same, about 350 bucks every month. It doesn't change. And I got locked in in 2021 at probably a pretty good rate. That same- Five lease years? No, three year, three year. Three year so that that year. same that same lease, if I went and tried to get it today, it would probably be closer to four hundred or four hundred fifty dollars, just with, yeah. with where interest rates are at. Or maybe not yes. that much, but I don't know. Um, but so, Dennis, one thing I guess I'm curious about: you talk about that Tesla doesn't need to finance its cars. I mean, if I went to the Tesla lot today and wanted to buy a car and pay for it monthly, wh where is how? I mean, like, where is Tesla just taking that on that? that itself or is there like a I, I guess i'm kind of confused on that sense well tesla's just doesn't tesla pretty much goes direct to consumer the majority of you know you may find in a big city maybe they got some tesla dealerships i i don't even know about that they remember they used to have a store in the mall in somerset mall in detroit and they got rid of that here too they just don't have the physical lots i mean you go to every little town in every little city across north america they got you know a four you know if you got a hundred thousand people in the town Ford dealership, General Motor dealership. They have all these dealerships. I'm in a town of 30,000 people. They're all here. Toyota, Ford, GM. They're all the dealerships. The people in the town go to those deals. There's no Tesla dealer here. But I still see Teslas on the road because they go direct to consumer. People I'm go saying, I online assume, I assume you can buy still, them online. But I assume you can still pay for a Tesla monthly, right? Like if I buy it today, but then I, I want to finance it and pay for it monthly, you have to go like outside of Tesla and get a bank loan to do that? Is that why Tesla's you know, doesn't have to take on any of that debt itself or how, I, I just don't know how that works. They must be sending it out. So like MasterCard and Visa, like American Express right. keeps all their on their books, MasterCard and Visa send it out. So I don't think they have a financing arm. So they're doing that. That's going outside. So they're not getting revenue from that. They get revenue from selling the cars and, you know, GM and Ford get a huge amount of revenue from their financing divisions. So they don't have that financing division there. So that's the biggest difference. So yeah, so they're not sitting there and keeping all these car loans on the books. It's out there. They're borrowing from somebody else. Your your payment that you're going to make, I would assume, and I don't own a Tesla, isn't going to Tesla. You right. you directly. So you would so get a loan when you go to from... Toyota, you lease. You you see on your bank statement, you're making a direct payment to Toyota, correct? Yeah. Tesla, I believe, is not going to be the same thing. Got it. Yeah, exactly. So that makes sense that they kind of outsource that financing to a middleman. Chad's saying that... it's Capital One does the auto financing. I don't know who does the auto financing for Tesla, but General Motors. Does the financing for General Motors. Toyota does the financing for Toyota. 
So I, they're basically like banks. They're loaded with debt for those reasons. So we're trying to, you know, the, the picture, the tweet that I put out there, I just want to give the full picture here. The reason, you know, is because they're doing their own financing. But that doesn't take away to the point that there's a serious issue with companies that have a lot of debt. And that's real debt. That's real debt that they're borrowing from banks to be able to finance those operations. So as interest rates go higher, that is going to potentially, you know, be a detriment to Ford and GM. It's another hurdle. So, you know, we talk about Ford and GM having issues. I mean, the strikes are a major issue here, but to get those settled, they're going to come into this environment where maybe they're going to have a demand issue. They're in, a, in an interest rate environment where rates are still going up on them. I mean, all of that is not good news because... You know, some people just maybe can't afford those higher car payments. You know, maybe you're not going to go lease that Toyota. Maybe you're going to lease something else if the car payment was 50% higher. So there's all that stuff to think about um, and unpackaged. But, you know, just taking it at face value and maybe, you know, I should put it like a, I've, I've mentioned in the comments in the tweet, the finance division is a big reason for it. But at the same time, it doesn't say that they don't have any debt. They have a ton of debt. And it also is so interesting because Tesla has you know, obviously no operating debt anymore here either. I mean, it's amazing to think about what Musk has done from everybody making fun of him, building cars in a tent five years ago to where they are today being, you know, the undisputed number one in EV found a way to profitability here, paid off all their debt because they're so profitable. I mean, it's been an unbelievable accomplishment, you know, like where all the other automotive companies are just loaded with debt. Tesla's debt free. So in this environment where interest rates are flying high they're not going to be nearly impacted as poorly yeah i mean i think you know some people would say that tesla will be impacted you know by uh, maybe more than other automakers by interest rates just because they're more of a growth company you know that you, when looking at the growth but in that aspect of their debt than 100 percent, i agree with you dennis uh also i mean tesla i'd be curious how the uh you know i know historically tesla has been able to make a lot of money off of like selling tax credits or carbon tax credits or whatever i wonder how that helps them and the offset. chat is telling me there is actually a financing division at tesla so they are into this now here too so that's impressive in itself so yeah, i don't know if 100%. that was always the case but i know like a majority of the debt like from foreign gm because i was doing research last night is the financing division so how the hell does finance tesla have a financing division they still don't have any debt Man, they're just doing a lot of things a lot better than the auto, other automotive companies there. Because I, I got can, a lot you, of people. I just googled it here right now. Finance your vehicle, Tesla support. Now again, I don't know. They have their financing arm, but they're holding all those loans on the books. I didn't you know, dig. This is just getting thrown at me here on the chat. Um, but I don't know if they're holding all those loans on their own financing books or if they're you know giving them out and and the banks are holding them, Capital One holding them. I don't know. But they do have a financing division as well, apparently. Yeah, from just looking at the number, the debt numbers, it seems like they're they're not the ones technically holding that debt. But if they are, then again, that's impressive because that means that most people buying Teslas are paying in cash or something. But I'm getting kind of chewed up in the chat for saying I leasing Toyota. Uh, Toyota. Someone said just buy a car. The problem is I was trying to buy a Corolla. I was trying to buy just a used Toyota, and at the time they were asking like 15 grand for like a 2012 Camry or something. So it was either pay 15 grand for a 10 year old car or lease a brand new one. That was listed at like 25 so i i was i was forced into it look i get it you guys there's probably a lot of car guys i'm not really a car guy that's why i'm just leasing my toyota corolla and i don't really you know it i i will say i went dennis i went from a 2001 to a 2021 when i when i got that car so it, i didn't care whether it was a toyota honda what it was it was still a huge upgrade for me I'm not going to yell at you for Toyota or Honda or what it is. I mean, I, they all make nice cars. Um, I, 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 I own Ford products. 
you know, I've got a Ford F-150. I love my F-150, not going to EV one until they figure out the problems. But um, yeah, so Toyota, I have no problem with you owning a Toyota or leasing. No, I, I don't think the chat was uh, hating on me for having a Toyota specifically. They were saying it was like dumb for me to be leasing this car and that people lease cars when they can can with, when they're trying to drive a car they can't afford, which no. may be true. But again, I, I did this kind of out of necessity, and I think I will try to buy the car after the lease. But um, all right, Dennis. I thought they I were know- giving you heat because when so, so the funny thing is where I grew up, Windsor is a big three city. And if you buy any cars, and again, I thought you were down in Detroit, so I thought you were taking heat for this, because if you buy non-Big 3 in Windsor, Detroit, people do not like you. You know, I got neighbors that work at Ford. They're like, I don't like Hondas. I don't like Toyotas. And I mean, Hondas made in, you know, people think that they're made in Japan, you know, but they're, or or Toyotas made in Japan, but it's not the case. They make these cars right here in North America as well. But in the Windsor, Detroit, they're very much big three cities. Like I can remember once being at a Red Wings game, and I think it was Toyota that during the intermission, they'd always drive a car out and before GM and Chrysler. And during the intermission, all of a sudden, I heard these huge, loud boos. Like, I'm like, what happened? And I look, and they somebody and the Toyota drove out onto the thing. And they oh, were man. going nuts. They were throwing stuff on the ice. I mean, it was insane. Windsor, Detroit is big three town. And when you start buying and driving cars around that aren't big three, they absolutely, the people don't like it. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I I keep it quiet that I have a Toyota. So you know, all, all the th- <laughs> that's all, why I thought you were taking the heat. So the least, yeah, whatever. The, you know, some people lease, some people buy. All the thousand people with us keep that our little secret. Well, all right, Dennis. Uh, <laughs> I've I've got the one minute uh, chart pulled up on Spy. It's nine oh five a.m. I mean, you got any final predictions, thoughts for us as we head into this day? Looks like we're kind of hanging out right at at uh, four twenty and. I, is Spy just going to be at 420 forever? I mean, I feel like we were talking about Spy at 420 like two years ago. It's been way above it, way below it since then. I feel like we might just be kind of stuck here for a while. Aaron, you make, some, you make some great observations and you have some great questions. And this brings me back to my memory when Dow first hit 10,000. And I and I don't think we go back on the charts here, but I think it was 1998. We hung out at this Dow 10,000 level for 15 years. That is the truth. The Dow and the S&P went nowhere for 15 years. Tommy Lackey was saying that yesterday. People don't realize. Then the market just goes up, 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 up. For 15 years, we went nowhere on the S&P and nowhere on the Dow. I believe we first hit in 1998 Dow 10,000. And then we just sat there and, you know, we had the, you know, did multiple crises. Obviously, we had the tech bubble burst, which brought us back down. And then we started getting back up again. And then we had the financial crisis, brought us back, back down. And we never really pulled out of that whole Dow 10,000 area until like 2011 or 2012, after hitting it in 1998. So could 420 S&P, the big 420 level, be like Dow 10,000 and we sit here for another 10 years? Is that possible? It's possible. Is it probable? I don't know. But, I mean, valuations are stretched. Multiples aren't cheap. Could we go into this prolonged bear market that we saw again? Like, I mean, we just went from Dow 10,000 to where the hell is the Dow today? 33,000. I mean, it's a big bump up here in the last 12 to 13 years. Could we go in a period of sideways action for a few years here? I think so. I I mean, personally, I hope not just because it's kind of, I just don't like being caught in that chop zone, but it does seem like, I mean, I I don't know. It's, 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 it's been, you know, again, like I said, it's spy at at 420. It's kind of like been that, 
that way for a while. I mean, uh, it, it looks like Jay Rice in the chat saying the hourly wages actually went were lower. I, why it does seem like this happens a lot, Dennis, where we get economic data, the market responds negatively to it, and then throughout the day, people start looking at the data closely. They're like, "Oh, this, this ain't too bad. This it's ain't too bad. bad. Silver lining." It's not exactly. Does that like do you see, do you think that happens today, or why do you think that happens so frequently? I think we just chop nothing. Markets never go straight down. Markets never go straight up. It's actually a very weird move for this, you know, off this jobs number to just drop forty straight handles with really no bounce at all. So now we're starting to bounce around here a little bit this morning. I mean, this is just the way the equity markets are built. They chop. There's ebbs and flows continuously all day. Um, obviously we know bears are in complete control on the majority of stocks here right now. We've got a lot of stocks making new 52 weeks lows, a very diversified list. But, you know, again, that being said, that doesn't mean the stocks have to just, you know, um, you know, go in, you know, sideways or chop. They're going to be trendy in certain directions here too. So I think we just have a lot of chop in store. There's a big battle between the bulls and the bears. The bull thesis, which is still strong, it's the consumer has been robust. Demand is still strong. We're seeing in the labor markets is strong. That's the bull thesis. They're going soft landing, soft landing, soft landing. Ryan Dietrich on the show, very bullish. He was on CBC last night, very bullish. Talking about the data. Fourth quarter continues, you know, usually after you've had a, a strong first half, you get a weak third quarter. The fourth quarter is usually pretty good. Just looking at that statistical data because patterns tend to repeat themselves. That's how Ryan Dietrich is built. And it's correct. You know, a lot of times patterns do tend to repeat themselves. But, you know, S&Ps here, I mean, I look at it from a valuation standpoint and just think like, so I'm on the other coin. You, I got that bullish argument. The bearish argument is that inflation is still not beat. Interest rates are still going higher. And eventually consumer demand is going to fall off a cliff. I am more in that camp, but the market has priced in a little bit of that. So as we continue to pull down, the bears are winning, but at a certain point, you got to say, well, a lot of that stuff might be priced in. I mean, consumer staples have been absolutely hammered because of rates. When the hell is General Mills had a 30, per, $30, like, nobody's going to give General Mills any love because nobody cares about cereal. This is supposed to be defensive. When has GIS fallen from $91, literally back in May, June, say not June, to $61 here today, $30 fall. It's probably never had that much of a fall in the history Holy of cow. the company. Like yeah. that is huge. This is a defensive stock that sells cereal. People eating less cereal? No, but people are willing to pay less for that cereal because it's a rising interest rate environment and margins are getting squeezed a little bit here. So lots of things to unpackage. But is there going to be a buying opportunity in some of these consumer staples eventually? Yes, as soon as you start seeing that TLT rise and as soon as you start seeing rates go back down, I'm going to be loading up consumer staples. Yep, and we are seeing a little bounce on the SPY here above 421 now. So it looks like we're going to be going into the market or going into the open with the, the market down about 7 tenths, 8 tenths of a percent. Try. Um, yeah, well, I guess, you know, there you have it today, guys. I mean, we got that jobs data market. Did not like it. That was our big headline at the end of the day. Uh, Michelle, you know, Michelle from, from Cox Automotive did say look out for maybe some news on the automotive strike. So if that's a story that you've been watching uh, pretty intently, then, you know, we, we might get some news on that today or throughout the weekend. Dennis, you got anything else for us before we wrap up? No, I think just expect, don't expect stocks ever to go straight up, straight down. We're going to have some chop here. I do think that there's more pain ahead. This 420 level is big. It's a big bounce area. So it's logical that maybe we bounce here a little bit off the 420. We're trying to bounce. We're coming back into support. So you got to keep that in mind. If you're a day trader out there and you're coming here, I've got to sell stocks right now. I mean, we just bounced off the 420 once again. So support is support until it's broken. You're probably trading it off of that level until we actually see that level breached. Does it get breached today? Well, you're pretty hammered already. 
you know, do you, do you think this is going to be like a 70, 80 down point day? Because those don't happen very often. I feel like, you know, you could end up getting a little bit of seller exhaustion here this morning and a little bit of a relief rally. Maybe you sell into that rally. 100%. Well, there you have it. Uh, Dennis, again, thanks for having me on the past couple of days. It was fun. Aaron, fantastic uh, job. I mean, you asked such good questions here. You get me thinking. I was a little bit distracted because there was so much trading action today. Normally, when we get this much action, I would hide in the background. I would actually trade. And, um, you know, I'd let Money Mitch and Joel run with it. But it was just me and you. So I'm like, I'm going to stick with you. It was crazy trading action here, though. I made, I don't even know how many trades, you know, just all basically S&P trades spy and i'm just trying to look in the last 20 minutes with 30 minutes while i was doing the show one two three four five six seven eight these are all like xl left trading i did that do the berkshire short off the number spy bank america i'm trading like big big stuff which is i typically trade the s&p stuff but i had to make like 15 to 20 trades while i'm trying to do the show with you there yeah, that's, so that's I was impressive. slightly that's... distracted here today. Normally, I'll make a couple of trades while I'm doing the show. This was not the case today. There was a lot of trading going on. No, that's impressive uh, multitasking. And of course, yeah, with a, with a move like that, Dennis, I would expect uh, a seasoned trader like yourself to be making some trades because that's some, some, some juicy pre-market action. Um, but all right, guys. Uh, I, I threw my Twitter in the chat at Aaron Bree five. If anyone wants to give me a follow there as I will. Uh, give I Aaron know, maybe... a follow. He did a great job here. Ask some great questions. Appreciate it, Dennis. Uh, all right, cool. Well, in, enjoy your weekend, Dennis. Uh, we'll, you know, of course, you guys will be back live next week. Money, Mitch, and Joel will be back. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll find some time in the next couple of weeks to hop back on for a quick, like, five-minute segment or something if I have awesome. any updates to give. Um, but Dennis, again, thanks again for having me. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and have a great weekend, man. Thanks, AB. All right, guys, gonna wrap up the show today. Make sure to smash the like. Uh, of course, you know, we, we got to some big things today, some big topics. We talked jobs data. We talked automotives with uh, Michelle Cox. We talked about that potential Uber trade that I had in my head that we might not be making now because you guys may have talked me out of it. But all right, guys, uh, smash the like. Make sure to stay tuned. I believe live trading will be starting soon. Um, and yeah, peace and love. Y'all stay green today. It should be a crazy choppy day after that jobs data. Uh, and again, I mean, I've noticed this. I don't know. I'm not saying this is going to happen today, but I think oftentimes you see some negative news. The market reacts. And then throughout the day, people start kind of buying and they're saying, hey, it's not too bad. Hey, that, that, that job report wasn't too bad, you know, whatever. Um, but all right, guys, going to go ahead and wrap up again. Please subscribe to the channel. Give us a follow on, on uh, this is YouTube, so subscribe to us here. But then also give us a follow on TikTok, uh, Instagram, you name it, Twitter. We're on it. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all next week.